Seeing the glory of God is our current series right now. I feel like at 9 a.m. we saw the glory of God through baptism. Rayleigh was baptized. She's nine years old. She put her trust in Jesus when she was four. Made a clear decision. Her own decision. Not her parents or her grandparents. Made her own decision. And she wants everyone to know how much she loves Jesus and let this world know that she is living for Jesus. It was powerful. You can check it out on the YouTube channel for Grace and amazing testimony. We thank God. We're seeing the glory of God in our lives. Uh, You see the glory of God in nature. You see the glory of God when we love one another. You see the glory of God in his word. And today we're going to be in Psalm 63. If you brought a Bible, you can turn uh, with that Bible. If you ever need a Bible, let us know. We'd be glad to give you a Bible or on your phone, Psalm 63. I want to say that it's good to be back. Thank you for the prayers. And uh, also, (laughs) praise the Lord. Healing is a gift from the Lord. You know, every day is a gift from the Lord. And thank you for the love, the prayers. Also, I am so grateful for Pastor Rick, Pastor Mark, Pastor Jesse. They are great pastors. Uh, I love them, appreciate them. They're great communicators. And together, we have a great staff team beyond the pastors. We have a phenomenal staff team that God has raised up. And we are together, united, living for Jesus and our whole church family. There's a lot of love here. And I'm very grateful. Today, we're going to do something that is unique. Uh, It just happens once in a while, but we do it intentionally because it comes right from the Bible, James chapter 5. We've been doing it a lot recently, and it's the elders available for prayer. And when you think about healing and prayer, I went through a time, you know, being sick recently where I didn't, I couldn't speak for five days, right? As a, as a preacher, it's like, where's my voice? And it was hoarse. I had no voice for five days. And I was so grateful for the, the restoration and the prayers. You maybe came today with a situation that needs prayer. And it could be physical. It could be a relationship. could be in your walk with God. But that's why the elders are here. They have oil. And when this message concludes, we'll have a song of worship, and you'll be able to come forward. There's no shame in coming forward. This is God's house. This is a house of prayer. People came forward during first service, and God moved. I prayed for one lady who's in the hospital right now and wanted prayer for healing and prayed over the phone. There's no limits to what God can do. We're going to honor him by following his word. James chapter 5, the elders will be here, prayer, anointing with oil, and we're seeking God's presence together Uh, We're seeing his glory together. And Psalm 63 today, the theme is, how will we overcome this? You have something in your life right now that you're trying to overcome. And I'm grateful the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We are overcomers because we know the one who overcomes even death, Jesus. And as you abide with Jesus, and because of his love, we overcome But how are we going to overcome? And that's what Psalm 63 lays out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we're so grateful for your presence. Nothing means more to us than your presence. And we're praying that our hunger would grow. Our love for you would grow as we receive more of your love. Our cry is, just like Moses, show us your glory, your holiness, your righteousness, your power, God, we humble ourselves before you today. Move in hearts, Lord. As we seek you here, God, we know there's no limits to what you can do during this time. There's no limits to what you can do during this year, God. We come before you in worship. We're not here to play games or be religious. We come before you in worship and in praise. And we pour our hearts to you and we rely on you 
and we'll give you the glory for every good thing. Thank you for your voice. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm thinking of two lists today, and the first list, this is what you want. Maybe during Christmas, people ask you, what do you want? Or your birthday, people say, what do you want? It's my dad's birthday today. It's my sister's birthday this week. We're all thinking, what do they want? And we have things in our life that we desire these things. And the Bible says when there's a provision for a longing, then it satisfies the soul. Because hope deferred is difficult, but when God provides, it's amazing. And you might be thinking about the list of things that you want. But here's the second list, and this is where we're going to camp today. There's a list of things you don't want. And what do you do when you receive something you don't want? Well, maybe at Christmas, you throw it away, or you re-gift it, or you say, when's the next white elephant? We've got a staff white elephant tomorrow. It could get wild. But uh, what do you do when you receive a gift you don't want? What do you do in life? Far more than a gift, what do you do in life? Have you had something in life recently that you didn't want this to happen, but it happened? Now, what do you do? How do you overcome that? And in life, there's a word in the Bible, it's testing. Testing. And when there's a time of testing, it reveals three things. It reveals your faith, your character, and your priorities. David is going to be tested. It'll reveal his faith, his character, and his priorities. When Moses was tested, it reveals so clearly faith, character, and priorities. Esther was tested, and we get to see her faith, her character, and her priorities. And God wants to do a work to grow our faith, to build our character in times of testing, and to make shifts in our priorities so that we're in alignment with heaven. And sometimes it takes what we don't want for some things to move in our lives and for God to redeem it and by his grace do amazing work in the most difficult circumstances. And that's where David is in Psalm 63. He's in the desert. Now the desert is dry. There's sand, there's sand, and there's more sand. And if you want some more, there's more sand. There's also dust, if you prefer dust. Do you want sand or do you want dust? Do you want it in your mouth? Where do you want it? Sand, dust, it's everywhere. And it gets dry in the desert. You're long, like, where's the water? Oh, that was just a mirage. Like, where's the refreshment? And sometimes in our life, we're in the desert, and it's a time of dry sand, dust. Even spiritually, it's dry. Also, the desert can be discouraging. It can be lonely. Have you felt lonely recently? Just don't feel like there's someone there that's faithful or that understands or that really cares and wants your best. No one seems to really listen well. And you have people around you, but you feel lonely in the desert. David felt lonely. And it's dangerous because in the desert, there's snakes. There's poisonous snakes in the desert. And David had snakes. He had people who were coming after him and wanted to kill him. They were chasing him down, looking for him in the desert so they could end his life. It was dangerous, dry, discouraging. The question is, can you see God's glory in the desert? And could you say the word absolutely for me when I ask you, can you see God's glory in the desert? Can you see God's glory in the middle of the pandemic? That's right. That's right. Because our God is that good, and he shows up in the difficult times, and he helps us to overcome. We're going to focus on three traits of people who overcome. Because of God's love and because of God's grace, we overcome this. Three traits that we see in David and throughout the Bible. The first one is relentless, 
and it's seeking God in worship. David is relentless in the desert, seeking God in worship. Starting in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. There's a phrase that is uttered, and it's usually positive. People declare so often, I want to go deeper in my faith. I want to go deeper. And it sounds good, but what does it look like? In this psalm, we get to see what going deeper looks like. Three parts of going deeper. First, there's a deep longing. There's a deep longing for God. David says, my body and my soul, I long and I thirst for you. Would you say that that's your condition today? You stepped into the worship center today because you are longing, your body and your soul are longing and thirsty for God. And in this dry and weary land, that's not complaining, that's just reality, that the land is dry and weary, a lot of weary people, a lot of spiritual dryness in the land. And in the middle of that, David is gonna be longing for God. That's the heart of fasting You know, we're fasting together to start the year for three weeks. The heart of fasting is a deep longing for God's presence. It's to move beyond the layers of just routine or selfishness or complacency or the patterns of this world. It's to move beyond all the traps. It's to move beyond the stinking thinking that we have. It's to move beyond all of that and have an encounter with God. That's what drives fasting. To come humble, to come hungry for an encounter with the presence of God. Now, if you're here today and you kind of think everything's fine in life, that things are good today, everything, it's as good as it gets, you're real good with the status quo, (laughs) you might not want to fast. Because if you feel really good about the state of things today, you might not have a hunger to really seek God. And there's a holy restlessness that precedes fasting where you know and you're almost praying on earth that is this in heaven. God, could you show up and do something that we're longing in your presence that you would change our lives and change our land and move in our families? That fuels fasting. Well, why fast? In America, a land of prosperity, we have so much. And oftentimes the heartbeat is me, more, more, Me, certainly the answer will be found in more of me and more for me and more right now. And we fall into that line of thinking. So fasting becomes countercultural because when you fast, you're actually giving something up. Well, fasting leads to a greater gain. It is a sacrifice, but there's a greater gain. There's a spiritual gain. There's a spiritual growth. There's a spiritual connection that happens. There's spiritual power that happens when you fast and when you pray. Some people give up time on their phones. Some people give up social media. Some people give up maybe watching sports or certain shows or television or entertainment. And those are all commendable. They're options that you have. It's whatever's going to help your walk with God. That's one realm But in the Bible, the primary realm with fasting is food. It literally means to cover the mouth. 
So I strongly encourage you to choose something related to food. It might be desserts. It might be a meal a day. It might be several meals during the week. But choose that time to set it apart for God. Open up your soul. And this is what increases. More time with God. More listening to God. More worship. More time in the word. More time in prayer. Like increase those things that are going to build up your soul. Because when your soul is thriving, it plays out in every part of your life. So focusing on the soul. Setting aside the usual to seek God. And God moves at many levels when there's fasting. Moses, this is on a personal level. Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights. God showed up. Moses says, show me your glory. God revealed things to Moses. Personally, when you seek God and fast and seek God's face, he's going to reveal things. He's going to show things. He's going to speak to you like Moses on a personal level. Then there's also a group level in the Bible, and they were traveling, and it was dangerous. And Ezra and the group, they were fasting and praying for God's protection. Maybe you sense a threat. You sense some danger. And it's time with a group of people to pray specifically. It was a specific trip, specific group of people praying for protection. That was in the group. Also, when the church fasts and prays together, and that's why we've been doing this for seven years now, it's because we see the spiritual health and benefits that come from it. In the church, in Acts chapter 13, as they were fasting and praying and worshiping, God said, set aside Barnabas and set aside Saul because I have an assignment for them. Do you know what happens today as we gather and worship? God is going to speak to some people and you're going to get some direction. This is your calling. This is an open door. This is your gifting. This is where God's directing you. It could be local. It could be overseas. But God directs his people when they seek and fast and pray. And also citywide, Nineveh had 120,000 people. They were all, they were living a life of rebellion against God. But they fasted, they prayed, they repented, and God brought healing in the city. God can bring healing in Auburn. There's been a lot of people sharing things they're seeing in Auburn lately that they're concerned about. God bring healing in a city. God can bring healing in a nation. When he starts with his people who humble themselves and turn from sin and fast and pray and seek his face, God moves On many levels, personal groups, churches, nations, cities, God moves. And that's what we're crying out, that God would move. That deep longing, when you say, I want to go deep, that deep longing for God, which then leads to deep praise. I'll tell you, when you have a longing for God and you get close to God, your praise is going to increase. Your praise is going to be unleashed. Your praise is going to come alive. Because there's no way to get closer to God and his greatness and then have praise diminish. Praise will increase the closer you are with God. And David is seeking God with this longing. And it leads to this praise. And he says, I've seen your glory in the sanctuary. He's in the desert thinking back about being in the temple and just thinking about those times of being close to God in the temple. He's like, I've I've seen your glory so many times in the temple. And how many weekends have we been gathered and God has touched and God has transformed and we've sensed and seen the glory of God in this place. And that's wonderful. But now David's realizing, I can also draw close to God in the desert. And has that light bulb gone on for you, those aha moments spiritually, where I can also worship God in my car, and I can also be near to God in the shower, and I can also at work praise him, and I can also be walking around the community, lifting up the community in prayer, and I also can give him my praise wherever I live, work, learn, or play, and then it comes alive, it's in the desert too. He's sensing, God, you're here too. And the context here is that his son is trying to kill him. 
<laughs> Say what? Second Samuel chapter 15, David was on the throne. His son was tired of seeing dad being the king. And so Absalom, with a conspiracy, started to whisper in people's ears, you know, David, eh, you know, as he's leading, eh, it's all right. If I was in charge, this is what I would do. And people are like, you do that? Oh, really? Hmm. And the conspiracy grew. Hundreds of people are now thinking, oh, life would be a lot better with Absalom instead of David. Finally, Absalom steps in and says, I'm on the throne. David right here is running for his life. Absalom now has the army, the control, could go wipe out David. God raises up Hushai. You're like, who what? <laughs> Hushai? Hushai? Hushai says to Absalom, don't chase after him now. Later on, get your whole army together. David's experienced. And Absalom listens to that, and it's God's way of protecting. God protects you in ways that you don't even see. Raises up a Hushai to stop the enemy's work. Well, David is in this context. And again, what would you do if your child was trying to physically kill you this week? What would your response be? David is praising the Lord. You say, well, that sounds radical. This is what he says. My lips will glorify you. My mouth will sing to you. My hands will be lifted to you. My heart is full. Listen, sometimes in our interactions during the pandemic, do you ever get caught in this where it's like, what are we doing? Are we staying away? Are we shaking hands? Are we fist bump? Like you, you, you kind of do one of those and it's awkward and you both do it at the same time. It's like, what are we doing? And if you had moments in the middle of that where you just reach out and just give each other a hug. You just say, okay, forget about all this. Like, what, let, yeah, yeah. And you just kind of, you both realize. And I think what David is realizing here is that in terms of worship, I'm not going to be half-hearted. I'm not going to be stingy. Do I just give God a little fist bump? He's like, no, God, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to go for it. This embrace, this encounter. May God deliver us from a few things. May God deliver us from worship that is feelings-based. Well, I'll worship God if I feel great, but if I'm feeling down in the dumps, yeah, he's probably not going to get worshiped. I feel really good, so I'm really going to praise God. Oh, I really am not feeling that good, so I really don't think I'll praise God. Do you see how that's feelings-based? Feelings aren't wrong. They're a gift. May God deliver us from situational praise. Oh, I got a promotion this week. Oh, there's a little extra in my paycheck this week. Oh, look at these blessings. Now I'm going to praise the Lord. Oh, it was a tough week. Oh, my girlfriend broke up with me. You know, oh, it was a tough week. You know, I got into a car accident. Like, yeah, God's not getting any praise this week. Do you see how that's circumstantially based? May God deliver us from that. May we go deeper than that. May we go deeper than just how are people next to me? worshiping God. What's the environment of the church? Is everyone worshiping God? Oh, okay, then I'll worship. Wait, how about my row? Are people really worshiping God? No, they're not. Okay, then yeah, I don't think I'm going to either. Do you ever do that? Just look around and say, what's the environment spiritually? Okay, I think I'll match it. Worship is not based on our feelings. Worship is not based on our situation, ultimately. Worship is not based on who is and isn't worshiping next to me. Worship is based on the worthiness and greatness of God. 
that changes everything. It's who God is. It's what he's done. It's what he's doing. It's what he will do. It's his grace in our lives. It's acknowledging that we are sheep who need a shepherd. Our shepherd, the good shepherd is Jesus. We give him all the praise. All the praise. He's worthy all the time. All the time, not stingy. All the time in the desert. All the time. Son trying to kill David all the time, all the time. It's always good to praise the Lord. It's always wise to praise the Lord. It's always healthy to praise the Lord. It brings health to our souls. And this is a deep praise. You know, I took a picture. I was um, sick for about nine days. And uh, when you're sick for nine days, sometimes it feels like 19 or 29 or 39 days. Amen? Uh, You know what I'm talking about. And one place I like to go is uh, by the lake. And I went down the lake, you know, I was getting out of the house, and I like to be around water. It's kind of the opposite of the desert. It's kind of refreshing. And I was taking a look here, and you can see it's an overcast day, and just clouds everywhere. And then what happened is, at the horizon, things opened up. And take a look here. Now, you see the lake, and you see the houses, but there's this sliver that opened up right above the houses. There's Mount Rainier. And as that happened... I thought of Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And seeing his glory in the beauty of creation around us, God spoke to me at that moment. I'm going to keep my confidence in God going through this sickness. I'm going to keep my eyes on God going through this time. And now maybe you're wondering, are you saying, Pastor, that God parted that sliver of sky just for you because you were sick and you needed some encouragement? And I would say, I don't know. I don't know. But the Bible says all things work together for the good of those who love God and calling to his purpose. And God has just different ways of encouraging us. A song, a friend, a Bible verse, something in nature. We're in those times he reminds us have confidence in him, his goodness, his plan, and give him praise because he's worthy. A deep longing, a deep praise leads to a deep security. Talking about going deeper, deep longing, deep praise, deep security. David Wilkerson wrote this. I think this fits for the testing we've been going through. Beloved, if we're going to face the coming storm, then we need to be prepared so that nothing disturbs our spirit. And the only way to do that is to spend time in the Father's presence beholding his face. We have to be shut in with him on our knees until we're thoroughly persuaded he is at our right hand. When it comes to training up kids and grandkids in the ways of the Lord, to know the Lord, I don't think anything is more important than that encounter with God, where a child can learn to seek God, to experience God for themselves, that God is there, and it's not their parents' faith, their grandparents' faith, but they're meeting with God. They know God. They worship God. They know his voice. Out of that closeness, learning how to listen to God, to lean into God's presence, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, that encounter right there, that's at the core of our faith. And uh, I didn't have that growing up. So I learned that a little later in life. For me, it was in my parents' basement in my 20s when I was fighting for my life for a year. In that place, That's when I started to lean in and know God intimately. And then uh, from there, 
when I think about uh, Dallas, I went off then to seminary in my family. That's really not an applauded decision. And I'm in seminary thinking, where's this all going? Like, what are your plans, God? I'm here by faith. And I would take walks in Dallas. And I would just take walks and walks and just that meeting with God, talking to God, listening to God. And then I was a college pastor in Iowa City, and I thought I'd be married by then. And I wasn't. And I had a condominium, and I was you know, single there. But that time in that condominium alone to know the Holy Spirit and to know the feeling and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, those were some desert moments in my life, and God met me there. And I'm telling you, you can learn things in the classroom, and classes are good, and life groups are good, and you can learn things in seminary, and the classroom's important, and it has its place. But I'll tell you, the desert has taught me things that no degrees could teach me, that no classroom could teach me. And God will meet you in that desert place, and you'll know that God is real. He's deeper than our challenges, and he's good all the time. And I encourage you to lean in, listen, know the Holy Spirit. Let's be relentless when it comes to seeking God, longing deep praise, and deep security. And I think as we enter into that security, we're going to be more attentive. And attentive is the second piece, listening to God's voice, listening to his whisper. That's what David's doing in the desert. Look at verse 6. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I mean, can you imagine saying that to God? God, on my bed, I remember you. God, I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. David says, on my bed at night, and I know there's a phrase that's well-known, sleepless in Seattle. Maybe you've had some sleepless nights. Maybe there's been more worrying. Maybe there's been uncertainty, frustration. What do you do when you're sleepless? What do you do at night? That's part of a vital relationship with God. And here we see there are some choices we can make. I remember in 1997 when Philip Park told me, if you're not sleeping as soon as you go to bed, it's okay, because God's there, and you can just rest with the Lord, talk with God, receive his comfort. 1997, Philip Park spoke that into my life. Powerful. It was deep, because this is the thing at night. A lot of times we're busy during the day, but at night we're finally still. At night, things finally slow down. We've got four kids in our house. There's a lot of action and noise during the day. At night, things are finally silent. This week, uh, from about 1 to 3 in the morning, I probably had my best time with God during the week. It, it was at night. God will meet you at night. David says, I remember you. Why is that important? It's intentional. The first thought that comes in your mind might be full of anxiety or discouragement. The first thought that comes in your mind might be selfish. It might be impure. I mean, all sorts of thoughts come in. And during the night, these thoughts are coming in. But this is when he says, I remember you. This is the power of the second thought. The first thought that comes in, I'm not necessarily going to believe it or entertain it or harbor it. But I'm going to replace it with the second thought. And God, my second thought is your goodness. My second thought, Jesus, is your victory. My second thought is your word. My second thought is this song. And I'm going to sing this song. And I'm going to declare in your wings, God, God, you are my help. You can say that on your bed at night. God, you are my help. I am in your wings. I trust your unfailing love. And you declare it, the power of the second thought. And it changes your mindset. And it changes your focus. And it changes your condition. That's what David's learned to do. 
You are my help, God. Here I am. You know, Eli was teaching Samuel how to listen to God. Just say this, here I am. Your servant is listening. You say that to God at night. God, here I am. I'm listening. I'm listening. Isaiah 30, 21, God declares, this is the way, walk in it. He comes alongside of us. He says, this is the way, walk in it. The Bible says, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. This is a desire to hear God. And David over and over again had the Philistines, and there were battles, and the Philistines were always threatening David, always threatening. Do you have something in your life that you just, it hasn't gone away? Some threat, some, something annoying, somebody undermining you, like you just want the Philistines to just give you a break, and the Philistines just stick around, and they keep attacking. That's David's life. And sometimes I think we fall in to the misnomer that we'll finally have peace when there's no Philistines. And David had to learn how to have peace when he was surrounded by Philistines. And God will grow us so we have peace in the middle of the Philistines. But David had to inquire of the Lord, and he had to listen to the Lord. God, they're coming to attack me. They're coming to kill me. What do I do? And God would tell David, all right, now I want you to move. I want you to come around. You're not going to directly face them, but you're going to come around. And from behind, that's how I'm going to give you protection. He was listening to God. And we see in David's life, priorities, schedule, strategy. He's listening to God. I encourage you during this time of fasting, listen to God and write down, God, what's the direction you have for my life? What's the strategy right now? God, what's the timing? What's your wisdom? Write that down. God will give you direction. And that's what David continued to seek. That's how God moved in his life. And there's no limits to what God can do when we're listening to the Lord. I want to share something. I've tried to listen to God to start this year. And um, two things I feel like that are, are clear, that stand out to me. Going through this pandemic, okay, it's the toughest time for the church in America in these two years. Toughest time in our lifetime. And uh, the church in many ways is trying to figure it out. And limping and adjustments and repentance. There's just a lot going on right now, spiritually in our land. And one thing that I feel like I heard clearly is church can't be focused on just the building and the programs. Uh, we need the space. We're grateful. We're grateful for all the things that are happening in our building. They're wonderful. But also, because the church is the people, we need to be spiritually vibrant at home, not just in this building. That has been just on the forefront, is that what does it look like for us at home to be spiritually vibrant? I'm not saying I got it figured out. Um, it's easier to be spiritually just going for it in this building than, than home. But what does it look like? God wants to move in our homes. I believe God wants to move in our communities beyond the walls of this church. What would happen if there was no Grace Community Church? Would our community grieve? Would, would, what would the response be? I think we need to be connected, serving, knowing, building people up beyond the walls of the church. And then online is the other area. Where are people right now? They're online. We could pretend like the lobby is where everyone first hears about grace, but it's not. It, it's on the website. It's on social media. It's on live streaming. Where people are is on their phones. In churches, I believe this, over the next 10 years, churches in America that not only gather and, yeah, there's great stuff happening in the building, but it's at home, the presence of God. It's in their community, the way they love and serve people, beyond the walls of their church, and even online. Like, this is where God is moving right now, and I think we need to be in step with the Holy Spirit. And just say, yes, God, we don't want to compartmentalize you. We don't want to make it about programs. We're about relationships. And then um, for our church, 
these three things, when you think about our church and what's going on, um, the first one is caring. Uh, we uh, need to continue to care for one another. I'm so encouraged in how we care for one another. I can't tell you how many calls, meals, texts, life groups, care team, Good Samaritan, uh, visits, hospital visits. Like, we have a very caring church. Uh, there's incredible ministry happening through caring. We need to care for each other because we're hurting. There's a lot of pain right now. We need to care, care for marriages, care for people. The second area is equipping, and that's to build people up. Build people up in prayer, in fasting, in habits. This is the word. Every ministry here focused on the word. We're building people up spiritually, and we need that equipping and that growth. And then the third area is this advancing. It's Grace Loves Auburn. It's our international partners. It's serving our city with other churches. We just had a digital campaign. We reached millions of people, and 15,000 indicated a first-time decision for Jesus this last week. So there's a lot happening And we thank God, those three caring for one another, building up and equipping, and then the advancing and the moving out. Those are the things I just wanted to share from my heart as I'm writing down this month. Like, what what am I hearing? Those are some of the things. You have things that are significant that you're hearing. But we don't want to be stuck. We don't want to be hopeless. We don't want to be just status quo. Like, we don't want to be the same a year from now. And, And part of that is being attentive and listening to God. And that's what David's doing throughout the night. Now, the last one is shifting with God's wisdom, because as you hear God, it's important to be mobile and move with the Spirit. David writes this, Psalm 63, 8, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed, they will go down to the depths of the earth, they will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God, all who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. David starts to build as he listens to God this confidence that there's going to be a restoration. And the key here is verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Would you agree when we say the word cling in our society, it's not always positive? Like, does anyone here want to be called clingy? Is that ever a good thing? I mean, you kind of think of the younger sibling and the older siblings that are trying to be cool and like the young one's kind of clingy. Like, we want our space. Like, they're young or... Clingy isn't always, you know, a real positive uh, meaning, but here to cling is so healthy. To cling means, God, you have my attention. To cling means my commitment. There's compassion in clinging. There's closeness in clinging. Where I see this played out on a human level is in Ruth's life. Ruth and Naomi have both lost their husbands. And as widows, they have to make decisions And what's going to happen is Naomi returns to her land, and now Ruth has to decide, will I go with Naomi? And Naomi says in verse 15, chapter 1 of Ruth, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, and her gods go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. Can you hear that clinging? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to leave. 
Did you hear that closeness and that commitment and that clinging and that beautiful picture of how this daughter-in-law is going to care for her mother-in-law, this widow? I got to tell you, when, uh, you know, we've adopted our son. When he was four years old, he came over to our house and uh, walked over to a table where I have my Bible. And he opened up the Bible and put his finger down on Ruth chapter 1, right on this part. And he said, read it. He said, read this. And, and I said, where, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And your God will be my God. And I was already sensing, but um, that moment God spoke that we're going to be together all our lives, that we're going to be together. God, God speaks in his word. There is a closeness. There is a healthy reliance on God. And there's a clinging that David brings. First the clinging, then the moving. First the abiding, then the responding. The first call in our lives is the closeness and the receiving of love and God's voice and his grace. That's the first calling. And from that, then we move. I'm so grateful. God's raised an amazing staff team. And I feel like we are in alignment. We're moving with the spirit. Even during this pandemic, like we're moving together. In Numbers chapter 9, move with the cloud. God, we're going to stay close to you. If you're here, we're here. If you move, even if we don't feel like moving, we're going to move because our eyes are on you. And we're going to move with the cloud. Take a look at this verse, Isaiah 42, 16. And this is what, um, think about David in the desert. He's never had to run from his son. Think about the last two years and what you've been facing in your life that you've never faced before. And this is what God says, I will lead the blind. That means, God, we don't know where to go. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. God has not forsaken us. And because the path is unfamiliar and we haven't been down this road before, God is faithful. He makes rough places smooth. He turns dark places and he brings light. And this is our God. I I wrote this down as we prepare for this time of prayer and healing. I wrote this down. I believe it's time for the church in America to wake up, to grow up. I I believe it's time and God is breaking us out of being too casual, too cautious, too apathetic, too self-consumed, too addicted to being comfortable, too fearful, too silent, too intimidated, too worldly, too sleepy, too insecure, too stubborn. God wants to break that spirit right now. And instead of just, you know, what's the next variant? Oh, is it Omicron? Oh, what's the next variant after that? What's the next breakout variant? I believe instead what we're going to see spiritually is what church is breaking out. What church is coming alive? Oh, that one in Auburn? Oh, that one in Federal Way? Oh, that one in Covington? Oh, that one up in Seattle proper? Like that one? And there's going to be a breakout of churches. And you say, well, what's this vision? It's people who hold on to the word and believe the word and don't back down from the word, who are united in a divided land, who hope is in Jesus And they know the hope of Jesus is greater than their challenges. It's people who are bold and who are loving, who have a vision for the community, a vision for the nations. The spiritual temperature gets hot. And most of all, this group of people are going to be focused on the presence of God. Because they know the presence of God is more important than anything else in their lives. 
And it speaks to who has ears to hear, let them hear. Who is hungry, who will humble themselves. I like this phrase, normal isn't returning, Jesus is. Some people are just feeling kind of miserable, just hoping is normal ever going to return. And I'm not here to promise you that normal's going to return. I'm here to promise you that Jesus is going to return. So let's not have two years ago or 10 years ago be an idol, but let's have eyes on Jesus and look forward to what he's doing now and what he's going to do. And this other one ministered to me too. These are the list of reasons why I'm not panicked. This was the post. Here's a list of reasons why I'm not panicked right now. And the first reason is Jesus. And that's the whole list right there. That's, that's the whole list. There's your list. That, that's why we don't need to panic. Just relieve yourself from panic mode. You don't need to go there. Relentless in praise, attentive to God's voice, mobile, ready to move and adjust the cloud, the spirit. We're listening. We're moving. We're full of not timidity and fear, but power and love. That's the picture God has for his people in this hour. And we're going to have a time right now where we meet with God in prayer in healing, in worship. And the elders are going to gather. They're going to be in front with oil. And again, this is biblical, James chapter 5. As people come forward for prayer, you might come forward for prayer if you need prayer and healing in your marriage, maybe in your body right now. Maybe it's in your walk with God. Maybe you want to repent. Maybe you're convicted today. What has God been speaking to you today? How will you respond to God? There's a loving group of elders, and I'll invite the elders to come forward right now, and uh, they have, um, they're going to pray, they have oil, and uh, they're going to ask you, how can we pray? That's going to be simple. Just how can we pray? And then you come forward, and the elders are going to pray with you. You know, why do we have a 21-day fast? In the book of Daniel, it comes from Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel prays in Babylon, and these 21 days... Daniel thrives in Babylon. We want to be people who thrive in Babylon. And there's the visible and there's the invisible. And the invisible is even more important than the visible. And when things happen in the invisible, there's manifestations in the visible. There's a spiritual battle that was happening. 21 days, that's a long time to fast. Well, demons and angels were battling. There were battles in the land, but this is what God did. God touched Daniel. He strengthened Daniel. He spoke to Daniel as he fasted and prayed, and Daniel was thriving in Babylon. I believe right now in this time of prayer, God wants to speak. God wants to strengthen. God wants to touch. And in the invisible, as we worship God, in the invisible, as we open up our hearts to God, God is going to move in ways that become visible in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We worship you. Come and move in our lives. We're hungry, like David's hungry. Our souls, our bodies, we cry out to you. Thank you that this is a place, God, a house of prayer, where everyone's welcomed. Lord, a house of prayer for all nations. Lord, move in this time. Move in this time of worship and prayer and fasting that you would get all the glory. We trust you. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.